Welcome to Pillar and Ground Podcast. I'm Brian Salter, lead pastor at LNPC. This episode is a Pillar and Ground confession episode where we seek to further understand and apply the truths in our Westminster Confession of Faith. Today we look at Westminster Confession of Faith 8.2, Jesus Truly God, Truly Man. As we consider Jesus in chapter 8, as I did last episode, I, I want to just continue to tell us of the glories of thinking about Jesus and thinking upon Christ. John Newton wrote a letter on September 10th of 1760, uh, and here was his response to them who were seeking to go deeper in the Lord and asked for spiritual counsel. Newton wrote, the best advice I can send or the best wish I can form for you is that you may have an abiding and experimental sense of of those words of the apostle, which are just now upon my mind, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus is the object that melts the soul into love and gratitude. That's what we're seeking to do here. We're seeking to look unto Jesus with the help of the confession of faith, which summarizes the teaching of the scripture. Westminster Confession of Faith 8.2 is a straightforward echo of the orthodoxy of the early church, reflecting and rehearsing truths affirmed at councils like Nicaea and Chalcedon. This section also echoes much of what we taught in three episodes on the Trinity concerning Westminster Confession of Faith 2.3. You can find those episodes in the podcast archive. In those three episodes, we dealt with Trinitarian truth, Trinitarian heresies, and the implication of Trinitarian truth for our lives, drawing much from Michael Reeves' work, Delighting in the Trinity. Those episodes may be worth a repeat listen as you consider much of what is in Westminster Confession of Faith 8.2. The summary before we read it is Jesus is really divine and Jesus is really human, and there is a distinction and truth about those two natures that we must uphold. 8.2 says the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, being truly and eternally God, of one substance and equal with the Father, did, when the fullness of time had come, take upon himself man's nature, with all its essential properties and common frailties, yet without sin. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and of her substance. In this way, two whole natures, the divine and the human, perfect and distinct, were inseparably joined together in one person without being changed mixed or confused and this person is truly god and truly man yet one christ the only mediator between god and man there is a whole lot in that paragraph a lot of theological truths and mysteries and hard work of church councils that i'm now going to attempt to summarize for you in minutes first jesus is really divine When the confession uses that of one substance and equal with the Father, the confession is leaning upon clear texts like John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, that is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and John 1.14 tells us the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. We understand the Word that John refers to is Jesus, and He is eternal. 1 John 5.20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we know, may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Uh, the confession certainly is expounding the truths of Scripture. 
But it is also reaffirming, as I mentioned, echoing the orthodoxy of the early church. That term, one substance, a term that is classically understood as homoousius, was established at the Council of Nicaea. We taught about this in Westminster Confession of Faith 2.3, but just a, a bit of a memory rehearsal. We're seeking to equip us all with a biblical worldview, so understanding these issues cannot happen enough. Arius was a proponent of the view that claimed that the Son and the Spirit are creatures, that they are of a different nature than the Father, and thus how somehow they were subordinate ontologically in their essence to the Father. They say that though the Son was a created being, Arius asserted that he was the most exalted being ever created by God, known as the firstborn over all creation. You may see there Arius is making that firstborn language a matter of origin rather than inheritance. That doctrine was called adoptionism. As Arius himself said, if the Logos is divine in the same way that God the Father is divine, then God's nature would be changed by the human life of Jesus in time, and God would have suffered in him. But there is an orthodox response. Constantine called the Council of Nicaea in 325, and he called 318 bishops to resolve this situation, and in near unanimous fashion they stood with Bishop Alexander. And thus we have the Nicene Creed. They added to the creed, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten from the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. That's right out of the Council of Nicaea. So Nicene Trinitarianism denied that the Son and Spirit were ontologically subordinate in their essence, insisting that no, they were divine in the same sense as the Father. Athanasius was the foremost defender of that Trinitarian orthodoxy, and it was at grace, cost, and sacrifice. Later, there became a revival of Arianism. The Council of Constantinople in 381 expanded the Nicene Creed with that phrase, eternally begotten of the Father, and the teaching was later reinforced and reaffirmed in the Chalcedonian Creed 451, which we'll address in a moment. I tell you that to show that as the Westminster divines sit down in the mid-17th century, they are simply affirming Christian orthodoxy from those early church councils, and it's significant in the confession that they include that wording from the Council of Nicaea of one substance and equal with the Father. Jesus is really, fully, and truly divine. Jesus is really fully and truly human. He becomes man. He took upon, as the confession says, man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin. That is a longer way of saying he is fully human. Without sin, he took on a real human nature. Chad Van Dixhorn says, the incarnation is not a case of man becoming God, that will never happen. This is God becoming man. And Galatians 4.4 4 speaks of its reality. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The confession is very careful to say that he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and of her substance. Now, now watch that with two uses of the word substance in this section. Jesus is truly and eternally of God, of one substance and equal with the Father, but it makes sure that you understand 
He is also of her substance, Mary's substance. Mary is not just some sort of tube for a delivery from heaven. No, he really is born of her substance and is of divine substance, God and man. That's the mystery and the wonder of the incarnation. The necessity of the incarnation, Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus took a true human nature, but not a fallen nature. That is, he who is to redeem us must be one with us who are redeemed yet without sin. We'll talk about this in future Westminster Confession of Faith chapter 8 episodes. The importance of the active obedience of Jesus for our salvation. One important clarification and even doctrinal implication when you consider Jesus really is human, became a true human, a man. In becoming man, Jesus does not set aside as deity when he becomes incarnate. That's actually heresy. The divine nature of Christ during the incarnation was fully divine. Christ did not give up any divinity when he took upon himself a human nature. Yes, he lowered himself. He humbled himself to take on human flesh. But when the divine nature adds a human nature, none of the divine nature is lost and the human nature does not lack any of its humanity. These things are hard to understand. They're mysterious, but they're really important truths to hold to. And the confession does a good job of that. And it goes on to speak about the truth of these two natures, fully God, fully man. And it says in the confession, this language, in this way, two whole natures, the divine and the human, perfect and distinct, were inseparably joined together in one person, one person, two natures. One God, fully God, fully man. When it says whole, perfect, and distinct, think about Colossians 2.9. For in him the whole, whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Fully God, fully man. Use that word whole. Nothing appropriate to either nature is lacking. Jesus is fully God, fully man. Perfect and distinct is the language. Both natures are distinctly possessed At the same time. And that's the truth represented in the scripture and the confession. The modern confession then goes on, as as we often uh, link to in the show notes, we're inseparably joined together in one person without being changed, mixed, or confused. You may have learned the confession, uh, understanding it, say, without conversion, composition, or confusion. This sentence in the confession, without being changed, mixed, or confused, has in its view the formula set forth in Chalcedon. There were four famous negatives of the statement of the Council of Chalcedon, and it was without mixture, confusion, division, or separation. So what I'm wanting you to see is that the divines, when they write this, are leaning heavily on Nicaea. They're leaning heavily on the Council of Chalcedon. Uh, They are affirming what the Bible says in Orthodox Christianity. They are not writing and creating some new form of Christianity. They say this, he was, this confession says it was inseparably joining together in one person without conversion. In other words, one nature is not converted into the other. 
His divinity is not lost into his humanity as humanity is not lost into his divinity. Secondly, it's inseparably joining together in one person without composition. One person is not a a composition of bits and pieces of both natures. No, it's full, it's whole, it's perfect, it's distinct. Remember those words. The incarnation didn't result in some kind of new being that was neither God nor man, but kind of a mixture of both. That's not the truth of Jesus. Inseparably joining together in one person without confusion. There's no confusion of properties of one nature with the other. That's going to be talked about in 8.3 next week. As we think about the truth about these two natures and their distinctions, again, it's important that we rehearse what church history walked through. You may remember from a previous episode, the heresy of Apollinarius, who wrongly answered the question, how could the nature of Christ's humanity relate to his deity? Apollinarius was the bishop of Laodicea in the 4th century, and he declared that Jesus was only partially human. In other words, Jesus' pure divine nature, according to Apollinarius, replaced the filthy mind of a typical human. In an effort to emphasize the full deity of Jesus, he underemphasized and erred concerning Christ's humanity. Apollinarius argued that the Bible teaches that human nature is made up of a body, a sensitive soul, and a rational soul. The rational intellectual mind and soul was identified as part of the higher nature. And Apollinarius said Jesus took on the humanity only to assuming a human body and a sensitive soul, but his rational mind, according to Apollinarius, was divine. But Stephen Nichols summarizes, in order to preserve Christ's deity, Apollinarius was unwilling to grant that Christ has a human will, which for him could be nothing but sinful, and therefore Christ did not have a rational soul. In essence, this view claims Jesus was only partially human, that his human side leaned on his divine side. And you can hear the Westminster divines agreeing with Chalcedon that answered this controversy of Apollinarianism and saying, no, absolutely no. In this way, two whole natures, the divine and the human, perfect and distinct, were inseparably joined together in one person without being changed, mixed, or confused. The person is truly God and truly man. Gregory of Nazianzus, Archbishop of Constantinople, fought against this view, and he said this concerning Christ as the second Adam. If only half Adam fell, then that which Christ assumes and saves may be half also. But if his whole nature fell, it must be united to the whole nature of him that was begotten and so be saved as a whole. And here's the summary of that statement. A partial Christ does not offer full salvation. A partial Christ does not offer full salvation. The Council of Chalcedon in 451 finally answered saying, Christ is one person in two natures, unmixed, unchanged, undivided, inseparable. And the Westminster Confession of Faith gives a hearty amen to that doctrine in 8.2. This is relevant to us. This may seem high and lofty, mysterious, deep waters. But if you do not preserve the truth of Jesus in his two distinct natures, you undermine the saving work of Jesus. Only a Christ who had all the elements of human nature could redeem all of man. And if every phase of man's nature were not redeemed, redemption would not be a fact. And thus Gregory said, 
What has not been assumed has not been healed. But Christ assumed the full nature, and there's full healing for sons and daughters of Adam. And what also we learn, lastly, as we think about these two distinct natures, we tend to overemphasize the deity of Jesus. Many of us may actually believe the following if we were forced to articulate. Christ, he appeared to be a man. He looked like a man. But underneath, he was God and using all his God powers to do all this stuff. We're going to talk about that next week. It's a little teaser for you. What did that mean? How did Jesus fulfill the law? Was this just a game where he was using his God powers but had him had on flesh? Could Jesus have the possibility of sinning? Was that a real possibility or was this just sort of a, a game? The answer is no. But we'll tell you a little bit more about that next week when we talk about Westminster Confession of Faith 8.3. So thank you for listening. Jesus is really divine. Jesus is really human. And the two natures are distinct whole and perfect without confusion, composition, or mixture. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Pillar and Ground. We look forward to future episodes.